0: What is up PGA fans, we are back and just like that, what was it, one week off and we're Hmm. back for a new season, start of a new season, week one, here we are again, the Fortnite Championship coming live from your PS5, totally kidding, but it sounds like Fortnite so we figured we'd have some fun with the name, (laughs) it's the Fortnite Championship uh, in Scottsdale, uh, Arizona uh a, a new field right so as, as if you're following golf the last couple of weeks main talk has been around the Ryder Cup which is coming up which is really exciting um but some of the new stuff is there's kind of like a new PGA tour right all these K- corn ferry tour guys have kind of graduated up so there's going to be some new names we are familiar with a lot of the names from some of the guys coming up and playing some tournaments this year but that's what we're here for we're going to go through it and uh, of course as always I have my uh trusty co-host here with me C and job spencer aguiar how you guys doing i'm good joel
1: by the way it's in napa it's in napa california i had to oh. like triple check because i because i was like maybe maybe it is arizona maybe i'm going crazy but uh anyway hey i'm great by the way i um i'm so busy man we're all so busy because now we're like diving all three of us are diving into football season right and we just got a lot of stuff going on there but i'm happy golf is back man i, I uh it was weird You guys tell me, like, Spencer, tell me if I'm wrong here. Isn't it weird not to have, like, a Thursday or Friday sweat? That's weird, right? Like, we have that all year, and then last week we just didn't have it. Actually, we haven't had it for, like, a month because the way the the FedEx Cup playoffs are, like, there hasn't been a cut in, like, I don't know, probably, like, four weeks now if if we're actually counting
0: the weeks as opposed to the tournament. So that's weird. So it's back, baby. Let's go. And and you're right. I'll just add to it. If you remember, we there was a similar run, even though they had golf tournaments, but there was a stretch of like three weeks where it was on non cut events. And so we were in this role of non cut events and then it came back and we kind of like forgot about what it was like to have the weekend sweat. So I guess you're right. That feeling, uh I know that feeling, and it's and it's back again. But yeah, Spencer, what uh, what are you seeing this week?
2: Yeah. I mean, these are my favorite tournaments where we do have a cut, as you guys were saying with it. Like I'm not a big fan of the no cut tournament. Uh, The tour championship in general was not my favorite with the way that was. So I'm excited to see these corn fairy guys that are going to come on tour. Like, obviously I'm very mathematical in everything I do, um, So I don't have a whole ton of information for some of them, but I went through with the data I did have and you do get some outlier totals here and there with it. But I think we have a good field uh, for the most part with it. I mean, obviously it's very top heavy with Rom and if you remove him, it's kind of wide open after that. But I think that's what's going to make this a really good DFS tournament and potentially a very good uh, tournament for everything with this. Because I think that when you look at like the ownership projections this week, uh, they seem to be flocking to the same area. And I will say that I am not in the consensus with most people with the way I view the board. So I think it's going to make a good show. And I think that when, if it hits, you know, you have a potentially very big week for DraftKings. So uh, that's the tournaments I like. So I'm excited to get going.
0: I love it. And, and the best news is by the time Sunday rolls around, if you're not making any money on football, you at least have golf to come around and save your day. So We're back. We're back in business. Let's keep our heater from last season rolling. Um, Let's start with the course breakdown. So for me this week, uh, when I kind of looked at this course, the main thing I was looking at was the driver. Um, Not necessarily just distance or accuracy. I just think this is a course that rewards good drives. So, you know, a combination of both just guys that are in control with the driver, gaining strokes in general, um, obviously, you know, approach is something that's just a staple. It's almost there's never going to be a golf tournament where we don't factor in approach and, and your iron shots. Uh, but those are the two main factors for me. Pretty simple uh, from that standpoint. But Sia, what are you looking at this week? Yeah, I agree with you on what you said. I mean, a- approach,
1: you know, to the extent we're going to break down approach. I mean, I will hear from Spencer, but there's definitely a lot of, of those sort of wedge so- shots, 75 between 75 and 150 that are going to be important. That doesn't mean there's not like, we, we always have to sort of like scale it back a little bit. That doesn't mean there's not shots that are 200 plus. Like there's going to be a handful of those as well, particularly on the par threes. But, you know, on the par fives too, which I think that's sort of what I'm looking at. I'm looking at strokes gain par five or par five scoring. I'm looking at birdie or better because this is going to be a scoring fest. And um, yeah, so th- those are the two like main metrics I'm looking at, but overall I'm looking at off the tee. I'm looking at, at approach, I'm looking at putting a little bit. I'm not I'm I'm curious to see what Spencer has to say here because I'm not really looking at around the green much at all. So I've kind of like almost I haven't completely taken out of my model, but I've minimized it quite a bit. So I'm I'm curious to see where where Spencer is there.
0: Yeah, I'm curious too. And if you haven't already, Spencer gives the most in-depth breakdown of each course and tournament uh, for the the stats and the metrics that he's looking to for that week. I honestly think, Spencer, you should name your breakdown. It should just be your whole thing. It should be titled the Spencer breakdown and and the whole nine. But before we get there, just tell us, Spencer, what are you looking at this week?
2: Yeah. So I mean, we have Silverado Resort. It opened in 1957 and has undergone some restorations over the years. Robert Trent Jones in 1967 and Johnny Miller in 2011 would be the two most prominent figures to make changes. Uh, I think by no means is this course difficult, but I also don't believe it's as easy as one might think for being a quote unquote quote resort venue that sits in wine country. Last year, we saw the winning total creep to just beyond 20 under par. Uh, But the typical winning score has hovered between 14 to 18 under during most years of the event. The layout has tight fairways that can quickly close in on you because of the tree line nature of the grounds. And deep fairway bunkers will provide an additional hazard for those that are wayward on their opening tee shot. Uh, With all that being said, I don't want to make it sound as if missing the fairway spells disaster when it comes to your chances. Because we have seen players like Cameron Champ bomb and gouge their way to victory by missing to the correct side. That isn't impeded by danger, but an overall total driving acumen will play to the advantage of the player if they are approaching the green from the short grass. So from a statistical perspective, I attach the weight to six categories. Um, I started with proximity from zero to 150 yards plus weighted putting for 25%. That's kind of what C was going with there. There's a lot of wedges. Um, I, I don't think this is a putting contest either, but the ability to make putts certainly won't hurt. The proximity total was put together by recalibrating proximity ranges from 150 yards and in. And the reason for that is because nine of the par fours measure under 450 yards. Um, I then added in make percentage from zero to 15 feet since 83.2% of birdies come from this range. So essentially I'm trying to find golfers that will not only hit their approach close, but will also be more likely to make the putt. I have total driving for 15%. That's a 50-50 aggregate total between distance and accuracy. That's with what Joel was saying there. I don't think that you need to be long. I don't think that you necessarily have to be accurate. I think there's different ways that you can play this. Uh, But I do believe that an elite skill set in one of those two areas will go a long way. And total driving is something I'm definitely looking at. Par five birdie or better for 20%. All four are under 45% for birdie or better percentage, which is why I think scoring remains somewhat neutralized. But it will be vital to add to your score when you can on those holes. I did strokes gain total on courses measuring under 7,200 yards while also being a par 72 for 15%. I think this is a specific type of test that benefits certain golfers. 10% 10% on POA and budding, uh, uh, POA slash bent putting mix over the last 100 rounds. That's 75% POA and 25% bent. You know, for people that have listened to the show, I'm not one that puts a ton of putting into my model, but this is about as heavy as I've gone in a really long time with it. And then I wrapped it up with a weighted category that looked into off the tee and approach and around the green for 15%. Uh, the last three years have seen the scoring dispersion be 16.1% around the green, 30.8% approach and 15, one, 15.13% off the tee. The thing that surprised me about that a little bit is, is the around the green was the only one that actually was over to or average with it. And I do think it makes somewhat sense because you have runoff areas, you have undulation around the green. So... Um, you know, that's just a 15% category in general with it. And it's going to be weighted down because there is off the tee and approach that's thrown into it. And as CAU said, like approach is always going to be what's most impactful at the end of the day. But that's how I wrapped up my model with it. And it, it gave me a very unique or at least a more unique uh, setup than I usually have with it.
1: Spencer, can I follow up with you a little bit? Because because I agree about the putting, Uh, especially I think I think you're going to find some, you know, like you said, the undulation and these are bigger greens, too. So uh, I get that part. But tell me a little bit more about the around the green game. Uh, Is it is it strictly because of those runoff areas and because of that undulation? Like what's what's the mindset there? And should I be factoring in a little bit more around the green in my model?
2: I think having a little bit of it is important because I, I do think that it's going to help. I, I don't think you need to go crazy with it. I mean, as I said, it's it's a 15% weight with three things being put into the mix. And so when you take the 16.1% around the green, the 30.8% approach, and the 15.13% off the tee, I don't have the numbers in front of me of exactly how I did it. But essentially, what I do with that is I remove putting from the equation altogether and I recalibrate those three numbers to equal 100% with it. So, um, you know, when you look at it, like approach is going to be about half of the weight there. The other two are going to be 25 ish percent each with it. So it's 25% of around the green, give or take, uh, mixed into a category that is only 15%. So I I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a weight that matters, but it's not one that I'm going super overly heavy on, but you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have to make birdies here. And I think if you're missing greens, you're already behind the eight ball, but I want to find guys that are at least going to limit mistakes when they do.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, well, with that being said, I think it's time to dive right in. Uh, and you know, when, if we want to start right at the, uh, well, I want to say we should start at the 10 K range, but there's actually an 11 K and a 12 K golfer. So that's, we'll call it the upper tier this week. um, and you know, I'll kick us off. I'll start at the top. And you know, there's something that I'm thinking about. So I wanted to ask you guys. But before we dive in, the elephant in the room is John Rom. Right? I mean, this guy seems like he is head, shoulders, knees, and toes above the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. So um, it just kind of like I have a hard time building on it without um, a minute. But with that being said, the first thing I want to ask you guys is, as an
2: early look, what kind of ownership projection do you, are you seeing for John Rom? Uh, I see a little over 20% right now. That's what I'm seeing. And if that's the case to me, that's way too
0: low. I mean, percent, I'm like, sure. I think all the John Rom I can get, it feels like to me looking at just how I kind of saw this field. It feels like to me, he should be closer to like 30, 35%. And if he gets there, then I'm, I'll have a tough predi- um, predicament because at 30, 35% owned players in PGA DFS, gpps just don't make sense right so um at 20 percent, sure sign me up you know i'd be happy to go all in on john ron even at 12k because especially i'm looking at this field as one of those kind of lesser fields meaning the guys in the 7 and 8k range i don't find to be all that much different than the 9k tier anyway so if i can get the best player by a lot and then a bunch of guys who are relatively in the same kind of area that's totally fine by me um you know, for the for that reason, you kind of have to fade a decky because you just can't afford Rom in a decky. So you know, nothing wrong with a decky. I just really strongly prefer Rom. Um, I just kind of same kind of thing. I think Webb's a little overpriced, uh, just because I want to get ROM into so the only other guy really in the top range I'm just gonna consider is Kevin Na. And it's really because of the one the hot streak he's on, and then he just got boosted in my mind with Spencer's take of prioritizing around the green even more, and we know he's the around the green King. So combine those two things. I might find a way to get a little Kevin not exposure, but for me, I'm pretty much in this top
2: range all in on ROM. How about you, Spencer? What are you looking at up here? Yeah. I mean, you kind of took the words out of my mouth for most of the things you said there. I mean, the one thing I will say though, I don't think it's impossible to fit ROM with one of these guys and just go with a really top heavy approach. Now, I would not do it with Hideki. I don't think that he makes sense. I mean, the problem with Hideki is golfers like him. You want to play them when they're cheaper and don't require as much win equity to pay off their price tag. So I'm out on Hideki at eleven thousand. I think Rom at twelve thousand one hundred. As I said, I mean, you took a lot of the words out of my mouth with it. Uh, he's averaged a fourth place finish over the last 10 weeks of action and the mid $6,000 options on the board aren't significantly worse than players priced above them from a talent perspective. So I think fitting Rom into a lineup is easier than it appears. And I think anything sub 30% is probably a potential gift that I would be looking to, to buy into also Uh Webb Simpson at 10,800. I, I always seem to like Webb. My model always is a little bit more bullish on him than most people. I, I think you can cram him and Rom into a lineup together and be fine. I think you could play him separately if you're trying to pivot. Um, Zalatoris, I'm probably out on also like if I was in on Zalatoris, it would have to be because I'm trying to pivot and the pivot just isn't there. He seems to be way too popular right now by what I'm looking at. And then, Kevin, not 10,000. I guess these are my concerns and he's second in my model. And I do want to preface it with that. Uh, But I hate when price ownership and everything else is being baked into a golfer. I don't think it's impossible that he beats me since he did rank second in my model, but I can kind of live with any result with him. That's not a top two or three in a GPP. And I think this is asking a lot from a volatile player. So if I was to rank them, it would be Rom in a clear cut number one spot. I like Webb second. Nah would be third um, if I'm trying to consider, and then I'm just not going to be playing really any Hideki or Zalatoris.
0: Yep, I'm I'm with you, uh, pretty much in alignment with me on this top range. How about you, Sia?
1: Uh, I do want to I do want to point out that we've got <clears throat> uh, coach, uh, a.k.a. North Forker in here that trusts the process. So he so he had just tweeted. I don't know. Spencer, you might have seen it. Joel, I, I don't know how much time you spend on Twitter, but he um, he tweeted something like his ba- his basic process, like week to week is going through the same podcast and a uh, PGA tout is in there. Andy Lack is in there. He just kind of. And then, you know, he watches us too. And so we were kind of bandying about the whole trust the process thing because he is like a cash game king at this point. By the way, he mentioned other names too. Rob, um, Detroit, Dave. I don't want to leave anybody out. But anyway, all three Better of us golf pod. Better? Oh, of course. Get, Shame oh, on the six
2: plug six there. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no. Better, oh, and by the way, actually, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say, you know, as you're listening to Spencer kind of rattle off the, the, the model and stuff like that, like everybody keep in mind that he's using that same model for – his actual betting picks. So you can a listen to that same sort of dissertation on the better golf pod, or you can look, you know, rewind this and listen to our podcast, but, but being more importantly, you can listen to that in the context of a little bit more betting talk, because we talk about it a little bit at the end of our show every week, but Spencer has that model for the better golf pod specifically for betting. So you, you kind of have to integrate that into your repertoire, especially if you're, if you're a betting person, which I think kind of most of us are, that are like playing DFS, most of us are also betting here and there. So uh, I, I wanted to point um, coach out there, and then we got S guy in here. We have to point this out because Sticks picks. You know, he he not only is great on the Better Golf Pod, but he had a Van Jefferson first touchdown uh, play that all of us were on, and we had. And I, and I gotta say, so you know, shameless plug. And I'm sorry, I I was on a different show on the Early Edge. And they asked me a oh, first touchdown leader. And I only I only comment on the show because it was right before kickoff. And I said Tyson Williams at 11-1. At to one. So that one hit too. So I had like a crazy good back-to-back first touchdown um, plays. Obviously, the Van Jefferson one is way more impressive at 40-1. to one, But uh, we all got to hit that. So that was really great. And then, Spencer, this one's for you. You are clearly the GOAT, sir. Well, I so- appreciate that, coach. Yeah. So, okay. So I think you guys were asking me about the 10 K range. The, so one thing I'm going to lean on you guys a little bit today for um, projected ownership, because I don't, uh, the, the site I usually use doesn't have it up right now. So when you said Wills Zalatoris looked like he was going to get some ownership, Spencer, do you have an idea or maybe Joel
2: where his ownership
1: uh, lays at the moment? Lies.
2: Yeah. Let me, uh, let me bring it up.
1: Because I and, and I ask in the context of this, I actually like Will Zalatoris because I didn't think he was going to be like really owned much at all. Because my assumption was was it was going to be John Rom and Webb Simpson and maybe Kevin Na that were going to be the leaders of the pack in this range. I like Will because I think the ball striking is going to be there, and it looks like based on the last couple of tournaments that he might have turned the putter around a little bit. And if that's the case, then he's got outright potential in a big way in this tournament. So that was sort of why he was the only guy in the ten K range other than Rom that I that I liked.
2: I think the thing with Zalatoris is, is he does make some sense as an outrider or in GPPs, even with the ownership. I know that's kind of like a counterintuitive way to go about it. But yeah, I'll run through all these guys. And some of these numbers, I'm about three or four hours since I've last updated it. But mm-hmm. Rom's looking at about 22.5%. Hideki's going to be about 7.5%. Webb is at 15%. Zalatoris is pushing 13%. And Kevin Na's at 17 The thing I will say about Zalatoris at 13 though, is uh, And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the ownership seems to be condensing into all the same spots this week. So that 13% is actually the 11th highest projected owned player uh, that I have in my database. Ooh. So 13 isn't high on the surface with it. But when you're looking and he's the 11th highest owned player, uh, that's more so of where I'm going with that he's going to be popular.
1: One thing on Kevin, thank you. One thing on Kevin, nah. so I understand he's he's been on fire. And I understand he's a good course fit, but it's Kevin Non, it's 10000 And forget about the price for a second. Aren't we kind of late to the party? Like, won't we be kicking ourselves? I mean, granted, he could do really well, but won't we, won't we be kicking ourselves if he, if he has like a middling tournament and we're like, we just paid 10000 for Kevin yeah. Non? It's just, it just doesn't feel right, especially in a tournament like this where a lot of those guys that Spencer was talking about that are going to be way down there in the 6 7K range. At these types of courses, which which tend to be kind of birdie fests, you know, it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. And, and it's one thing to, to make that argument against John Rahm. John Rahm is elite no matter what course he's on. There's no level playing field compared to the 7 or 6K guys. But when it comes to Kevin Na, I feel like there's a bunch of guys in the 8, 7, and 6K range that can have a Kevin Na-type tournament. And so it just, to me, if Kevin Na was like 8,300, it would be a different story. But at 10,000, I just, I can't get there, man. I just can't do it.
0: I'm sold. I'm out. Nas out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know,
2: Sia, the thing that you just said, and it's one of the points that I mentioned on the show I do for Golf WRX, which is uh, Be the Number. Mm-hmm. With that, in, and it's kind of what I just mentioned now even too. It's like everything has come together for him. the The price is up there. The ownership is pushing as one of the highest owned players. He has injury concerns that have to be baked into account here. There are a lot of problems that come into play. And the exact quote that I said on the show is if you take away one or two of those tournaments, he's not 10,000 anymore. He's 9,000. He's $8,500. So we're seeing everything baked into one here. Uh, You know, if Kevin Na was $10,000, but 5% owned because nobody wanted to play him, then I'd be a little bit more intrigued, but he's second in my model. That part's great, but he's also the second highest projected owned guy right now on the slate. And uh, you know, I know it's a $2,000 difference, but there's so many cheap $6,000 plays and low $7,000 plays that I think I can get down to that. I think the difference between Rom and Na is night and day, and I would just rather find a way to get either Rom into a lineup or just move down into the nine or $8,000 range and play somebody else over Kevin. Na.
1: Speaking of, I'll tell you right now, cause I don't want to waste anybody's time. I have nobody in the nine K range. So don't even ask me. I'm like, this is the first time I've ever done this. It is a short range as it is, but you guys tell me who your nine K range guys are. And and I'll, I might mention when you're done, like I that's a pretty good argument. I, I like that guy, but I'm just letting, you know, I'm not wasting anybody's time. I have gone up to this range that we're talking about now. And I've gone right down to the eight K range.
0: So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. I'll make it easy. I only have one guy in the nine K range, just one guy. I like, and that's Cameron champ. Uh, I like Champ here because we know he probably will be the longest hitter, which could be really beneficial on this course. And the one thing about Champ is he's shown a lot. Like his game's in good form right now. We've seen him competing, you know, ever since he won that tournament. Um, what was it? About a month ago. He has since, you know, had at least a top of 31st to 27th. So um, he's playing a much better golf. And for that form, I'll put a little bit of him in my lineup. But other than that, I'm not too high on this range either. How about you, Spencer?
2: Yeah. So when I was saying that I'm a little bit different in some of these parts, um, there are two players in this range that I do like. And before I get to those, I think Harold Varner's fine for cash games. He's projecting to be popular after posting four top thirties at Silverado over the last five years to go along with three top 15 finishes over the last four events. Uh, I think you can work Tringali into GPPs. I do worry a little bit that his game might be going in the wrong direction, but the two I really like, and especially for MMEs here, are Mark Leishman and Siwoo Kim at ownership projections of under 5%. So uh, let me run through why I liked them. So Kim's going to go under the radar because his recent form looks horrible. He's ranking 143rd in this field over his last 24 rounds with his irons, but it's important to note that not all strokes gain data gets built equally. We saw him lose 16.8 shots. At the WG St. Jude with his irons after hitting shot after shot into the water. And I think this type of a venue is much more conducive for him to find success. He ranks third around the green, twenty sixth at short courses and seventh in par five scoring. I think we get a lot of upside here at low ownership total. And he's actually the guy I was kind of talking about to where I want to get off of Kevin Na and I want to get more on to see si Kim. I think he provides similar upside uh, for what we're looking at there. And then as far as Leishman's concerned, He's just elite in a few categories. He ranks third in this field at short par 72s, 20th in short iron proximity between zero to 150 yards, uh, which is me just rebuilding the database to try to you know find wedge players. And he's first in long iron proximity, which should increase his par five scoring average since these greens are reachable and two for players that possess the ability to control their ball flight from distance. So I think there's a reason why he came third here in 2019. Uh, those are the two guys where I'm going to get cute compared to the rest of the field and uh, on top of that, there's two guys in the $8,000 range that I'm going to do the same thing to. So if you know these two guys can hit, and if the two guys in the $8,000 range hit, I think there's a potential big week to be had.
0: I think that's interesting. I think you made up a good point. Nothing I, we can do about it, but I just want to mention with the Siwoo Kim, with like you know how the strokes gains aren't all equal because he had a hole where he put a billion balls into the water. I think somebody should create strokes gain data where they remove your worst like five shots and your best five shots, right? Because when a guy gains five strokes on the field because he got a hole-in-one, that doesn't really show if he was the best iron player that day or he had a hole-in-one, which is going to skew the metric. So um, I think that should be a thing. I think it would be make the data a lot cleaner and, and more realistic. So anyway, I digress. Down to the 8K range. Um, I'll start us off here. And I'll start us off at the top with Emiliano Grio. Uh he is now falling into the category of guys for me who I know he can compete. We've seen him have weeks where, you know, he's one of the best iron players in the week, but his putting is just not good um, to the point where I do feel like he's overpriced here and he's kind of falling a bit like a better version of like the Doug Gim category for me where it's like, yes, we know he's a great ball striker, but he just it's a lot more than just ball striking to put it all together. So for that reason, I, I'm probably going to pass there. I think a lot of these guys I, I kind of have the same feeling on as I did um, in the 9K range. I, ju- I just think that there's not a big difference between these guys and the next level. And for that reason, um, I'm pretty much fading the entire range. The only guy I might consider is Max Homa. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm not too interested here either. How about you, Spencer?
2: Yeah. So the $8,000 section was exactly what I was talking about when I said the $6,000 players aren't that far off from what we're getting above them. I think most of these choices are typically low 7k or below plays in a normal field, which means it generally will be a section I am going to ignore. Uh, But I do want to highlight the two golfers. I like at sub 5%. Uh, Before I do that, Chez Revi's fine for cash at 8,500. It's kind of the same viewpoint that I have with Varner here. Five top 33 finishes uh, over the last five years. Recent form also looks good. Uh, but the two I do like, I like Snedeker at 8,300. He has a second place finish on his resume in 2018 at this course. He's averaged 4.8 strokes with his putter during his last four starts at Silverado, showing he likes to surface. And for a golfer that relies heavily on his putting to begin with, I think that's a good thing. He's one of the better players in this field when it comes to short iron proximity, ranking fourth from within hundred yards and fourth from hundred to 125 yards. Um, as I said, he should be under 5%. And then I'm kind of assuming that I will be on my own island on this one. Uh, I like Phil Mickelson at 8,100. I know the recent approach numbers are troublesome, but we've seen this from him throughout his career with these short California tracks. They kind of help him discover his upside. He's found success at Pebble Beach with multiple victories. Uh, He's at additional top tens there. We've seen a similar trajectory here in Napa Valley where he has three top seventeens in the last five years. Mickelson ranks first at short tracks because of all the data I just listed and is fourth on POA putting. In this field. So, um, as I said, like the Siwoo Kim, Mark Leishman, Brant Snedeker, Phil Mickelson, that's where I'm deviating from the rest of the consensus out there. I'm going to have a lot more of those guys than everybody else. And I mean, I think when you have sub 5% ownership, you know, a lot of the price tag goes out the window a little bit. Like if Mickelson can come in, even with what his overall rank is from a price projection. I mean, I think you take that and run all day with it. And I think Mickelson can provide that. So for the most part, I am going to ignore both of those two ranges. But I do think that there's a leverage advantage that can be created with those four guys. And uh, just to kind of uh, reiterate that thought, Leishman sixth for me overall. Sibu Kim is ninth. Um, Brant Snedeker is 14th. Phil Mickelson is 23rd. But when I look from an upside perspective, Mickelson jumps to 15th. Snedeker jumps to 10th. Siwoo Kim jumps to seventh and Leishman does back up a little bit to ninth, but these are guys that are all top 15 players for me that nobody seems to want any part of. So I'm going to take my advantage and see if my model just can't be right this week.
1: I like it. I, I think it's really smart to, especially here, like in Napa, I think it's really smart to take those ownership leverage plays because it's going to really surprise you who I think on Sunday afternoon, who's at the top. I mean, there's there's going to be a few that are not surprises, but there's definitely going to be a few surprises and guys like Leishman and Snedeker. I, I, it, it would not surprise me at all if those guys are somewhere in the top 10 on Sunday afternoon. So I totally get it.
0: Well, before we, we kind of move on from, from this range, just curious, is anyone interested in or looking at Mick Jagger son, Stefan?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, um, I, I have a head-to-head bet against him in uh, full transparency with it. I think he's a really good player, um, but I am kind of out on the price tag. There's,
1: I, one, I, there's one or two Corn Fairy guys that, that I'm interested in,
0: but he's not one of them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also think that some of times these guys playing well on the Corn Fairy tour – get overvalued because they're playing well on a different tour um it's a whole different beast playing against these pga guys they're way better uh i and i've gotten burned doing that myself so i've learned my lesson i'm just trying to help you guys know that you know it's it's different competing on the pga tour and having a few good weeks in the Corn Ferry does not translate to necessary success on the pga tour
1: so we have this question, Joel. How can you not play Homa in California? So I'll tell you the reason I'm not playing him, and I'm actually curious what y'all's opinion is on on Max Homa. I mean, his putter has been really, really, really bad. So I think that's sort of a problem. Now he's from California, so maybe he rebounds on this surface. Totally get it. I don't think it's a bad play. It's just not somebody that I'm leaning on. I mean, in the 8K range, I'm I'm looking at a few guys like. Charlie Hoffman, I really like. I classically like Charlie Hoffman. It's hard for me to get off of him when I think ball striking is really going to come into play. Um, I like his pedigree. Uh, I think Griot is interesting if if ownership is super low on him. If it's not, then it's, it's a hard pass for me. And I, I think I'm going to play, even though the stats don't really back it up, at least not with respect to recent form, I like Maverick McNeely especially in, in a birdie fest. I, I just I know he can get hot, and that's just a guy I'm going to have my eye on, especially if ownership is low. So those, those are the guys I'm looking at. I mean, Max Homa is not really on my radar. But do you guys have an opinion on, on Max Homa or, or Mito Pereira? Because I think that's sort of a hot name that people might be discussing.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I mentioned Homa as the one guy in this range that I might play um i think you're right there his game's not in perfect form and he's one of the most volatile golfers In that like we've seen him go on runs where like he's terrible terrible top 10 terrible terrible so you know he can pop and we've seen him do it but it's kind of like he's to me he's a strictly gpp play in someone that you want to kind of roll the dice on the big tournament because he has the upside but not someone i would play in small tournaments or cash can i say something spencer before you chime in here this is
1: really interesting um so I do a show uh, with CBS, the Fantasy Football Today DFS show, and we went over the millie maker winner in football. This is I'm totally diverting, but this is really interesting. This person, whoever lyric is, uh, I don't know if it's a, a girl or a guy, but they just thought this was the NFL show. So they, and then like you see the comments as you scroll down, they're like, "Oh my bad, I thought that." So, but I, I need I need to put this out there because I think it's really interesting. There was a guy in the $5 Millimaker, Maker, okay, which had, like, I don't remember how many hundreds of thousands of entries, because there was a $100 entry millimaker, Maker, and then there was a $5 millimaker. Maker. The guy who won, I think, had nine total entries, and, of course, you could max out at 150, and he had a Bengal stack with no correlation on the other side with Minnesota, and then he had a secondary stack with two Chiefs, Kelsey and Hill, with nobody on the way back from the Cleveland Browns. It is the outlier of outliers in that type of field. It makes no sense because historical data, we know how much how much correlation really matters when it comes to fantasy football. I'm sorry for getting off on this tangent. I just think that's crazy interesting that in that particular, it would have been one thing if it was the $100 tournament because that's less entries, but this person managed to do it with Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. He had Arizona's defense. Uh, and then I, a couple other guys I'm forgetting, but no correlation whatsoever. Just a couple stacks on one side of the ball. And any comments there before we get back to golf? I think that's mind-blowing.
0: I do. I think that's really interesting. Um, I can see it, though, because I there's also something to – here's my, my counter to that. To win this tournament with so many hundreds of thousands of people, you have to be so perfect that, like, the correlation side I think is almost better for a smaller tournament because the more likely game script, you know, you get guys with points, you don't necessarily need the perfect lineup. This has to be closer to perfect. So I can understand where maybe it won't be a correlation. It just needs to be the exact right guys, which
2: he happened to hit on. Right. right. You you obviously have to get very lucky in those tournaments, as Joel said, to win it. But you know, I I don't think in general people take enough of a risk with it. So I, I think it's, I think it's an interesting way to just be different. I mean, everybody's trying to create those direct correlations with it. And he has to be exactly precise to win the tournament, but it's already such a long shot that you win. And, you know, I mean, good for him that he was able to pull it off. But I think when you look at these tournaments in general, like 80% of the times, you're not going to cash by, you know, math or average with it. So I think people, if they took more risks and tried different things out of the box, you'd be surprised with some of the scenarios that would play itself out because the min cash is not what you want at the end of the day. I mean, you're going to, if you min cash, you're going to rake yourself to death. Like DFS, unfortunately has more rake that is being taken than a sports bet is. So I, I think like the ability to step outside of the box is an interesting concept.
1: Yeah. Sorry about that. I just, I had to go there because I'm, I'm NFL is important to all of us too, but I just thought that was so statistically improbable to have a, a lineup like that to, to win a Millie.
0: No, nah, I like it. That was, that was good. So, all right, cool. So well, Back to the golf, back to the golf. Uh, Sia, was that your full AK range? Yeah, that was it. All right. Let's, let's head down to the 7k range. Uh, Spencer, do you want to kick us off here?
2: Yeah. So, uh, are we going to run it down from the start to the bottom or we're going to have a cutoff point with it? Um, why don't we do
0: this? Uh, if it's easier, why don't we do our favorite four from this range each?
2: Yeah. So I, I guess let, let me, let me give a, I guess what I'll do is, is let me give my favorite couple from 7,500, because the one thing I will say is I think that, uh, people are going to win or lose GPPs in this range this week. Cause I think there's a lot to talk about. So, uh, Pat Perez at 7,900 appears to be one of the safer plays. I think he's fine for cash games and things like that. I think he's a little bit more upside than you think. Uh, Charles Howell at 7,700 is one of my favorite pivots away from Brendan Steele. I think Steele's going to have a lot of people come on to him because of what we've seen in the past. Uh, Taylor Moore at 7,700. That's a corn fairy guy that's taken that tour by storm. Uh, with that, Lucas Herbert, 7,700. I think he's a really good GPP play to consider. We saw him win the Irish Open. He handled himself well at the WGC. Uh, two of my favorite plays, though, would be Ryan Moore and Dylan Fortelli at 7,500. Uh, Moore has missed three cuts in a row, but my upside model loved him there. Uh, Fortelli, somebody I never play, but I think that when you have low ownership with him, you're trying to find a guy that can boom. And then if we just get to the bottom of the range, just to throw out a couple names here Nick Taylor at 7,300. Um, I think Scott Piercy, there's no ownership around him. Uh, and then Chad Ramey at 7,000. The one thing I noticed about him, he was the biggest discrepancy I had in my model when looking at outright price versus DK odds. I think that has to mean something. He tore up the Corn Fairy Tour with 11 top 20s and 13 starts. So, uh, I mean, there's a handful of other guys that I think are playable, but for me, I will have a little bit of Ramey. I think Piercy's a great pivot away. I think Taylor makes a lot of sense. And I think Fratelli is somebody that people just aren't playing right now. And his total driving and the ability that he has to kind of pop when he does uh, makes him very intriguing.
0: I like it. That's uh that was a that was a good breakdown. Uh Jesse asks, you know, how much exposure are you guys gonna have to the Corn Failure Tour? Um I might take a stance and I might fade every new player. I might just, if I don't know if they were on playing on the tour last season, now there are some guys that like, like technically Will Zalatoris was a, is a guy that came up from the commentary tour, but he's been playing on tours. We know who he is. So I won't count him. I'm talking guys that are really kind of new to the PGA tour. Uh, I think I'm going to fully fade all those guys and just stick to, you know, the guys with a little bit more experience. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What about you guys?
2: Uh, for me, I, I will play Ramey. Uh, I think Aaron Rye Ray makes some sense. Um, uh, Sahith the Gala, I, I kind of like him a little bit, and then Taylor Moore. I mean, those are the four guys that I will sprinkle into lineups here and there, but for the most part, I'm not playing anybody else other than those four. And I'll add, like, Rye
0: and Figala, for my metrics don't count because those are guys that have been playing well, they, they've been on the tour, so those guys I will include in my pool. But how about you, Sia? Yeah, it's
1: so far the only guys I'm considering are Ramy and Rye. Um, I, I like I, I like both of their ball striking, and as far as Ramy is concerned, I mean, sometimes the sports books sort of tell you what to do, and you kind of have to take their advice when, like, like um, Spencer said, when the discrepancy is really kind of stark. So he's seventy to one to win this thing, in some places like sixty-six to one, and he's in a price range with guys that are like a hundred to one hundred and twenty-five to one. So to me, that's the sports books telling us like, all right, this guy isn't just like doing really well on the Corn Ferry Tour, but there's something about him that is is recognizable enough for me to switch his odds from what should be 125 to one to 70 to one. So um, that's one of those discrepancies where I just have to kind of buy in. And then when I look at his track record on the Corn Ferry Tour and what I know about his ball striking, it kind of adds up. It's not like this guy you know doesn't have any like top 10 finishes or anything like that on the corn Ferry tour so there's definitely something to be said for that so in that 7k range actually ryan ramey we're going to be two of the guys i was going to mention i'm also going to mention doug Gim. i mean we kind of float around with doug Gim. like i haven't really been on him for quite some time the putter's been really really bad with all of that said though the putters kind of turned around the last couple of tournaments the, the ball striking hasn't been like the typical doug Gim, but I think in this field, if the putter actually turns around with his ball striking, I think he could absolutely contend on Sunday. So I'm down with Doug Gim. We've seen him contend on Sundays before. It's just it's just kind of been a while. So um, it, I don't know what I'd be curious to see where his ownership is, because I would I would have a feeling in this field um, people will be on him. But before you tell me that, uh, two other guys I'll mention uh, Adam Schenck. He just rates out really well for me. I, I like Adam Shank. I've been on him before. Uh, I'm not looking at the metrics right now. I don't have them in front of me, but uh, he rated out really well on a couple things, and I'm pulling it up. Strokes game, par five, him and Lucas Herbert, by the way, Herbert rates out, or maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. He rates out really well uh, in strokes game, par five as well. He's shaky in a lot of other metrics, but strokes game, par five or par five scoring is really going to matter here in particular. So that is definitely a metric to look at, in my opinion, but uh shank rates out pretty well off the tee on approach, you know, above average. He's great with the putter. Um, you know, if you want to factor in three putt avoidance, he's, he's pretty good there. Birdie or better gained. He's in the top 20. So again, a a guy I'm probably going to be on. I think that's pretty much it. I might've mentioned Brian Stewart. I think that's pretty much it in that seven K range in terms of guys that I already know right now that I'm playing.
0: Yeah. So um, I, I think I'm aligned with you guys. I think we're on a lot of the same guys, which I like, I'm going to try and just mention some of the guys that maybe you guys haven't mentioned yet. And you didn't just to the end, that was the first time you mentioned Stewart uh, because he's my favorite guy in this range. This is the guy I like the most. I thought his ownership would have been a lot higher uh, from what I'm seeing thus far, it's about 10%, give or take. Which for me, um, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, the recent form has definitely been there, uh, and even at this tournament, he I mean he was tied for third last year, um, tied for in a top 20 the year before that. So he seems to like this course. I think um, he's one of my favorite plays of the week altogether. Um, and then a couple other guys in this range I want to mention. I like Roger Sloan at you know coming in pretty low ownership. Uh, he's been playing really well. I mean, he missed the cut at the Northern Trust, but before that he had second at the Wyndham, 16th at the 3M Open, and uh, he has a tied for 13th here in the past, so he's done well on this course. Um, for the most part, other than that, you know, I, I did like Ryan Moore a lot, so, you know, I'm definitely with you there, Spence. Um, you know, CT Pan could be interesting. You know, he's really, really volatile, so if he's more of a, definitely a GP play play more than anything. Uh, but other than that, I think that's going to be the the majority of my plays. I, I do think I just happen to have a bias toward Figala. I just like him. Uh, something about him that I like. Not something I would really recommend. It's just one of those things that I typically have a uh, feeling that he might be successful because I like him. I'll probably play a little bit of him, but that's for the most part. That's uh, that's this range for me. So let's get this final range going. I guess. Before we do move on, the one other person I don't think we mentioned that I do want to bring up is Lanto Griffin. I think he's more of a cash play than GPP play, um, but I do like him for cash at this price. I think this is a number he could have been $1,000 more or so and probably wouldn't have baddened an eye. It, Let me uh, mention. Joel, go uh, ahead. Go I, ahead. Spencer.
2: I just want to say one thing really quickly about the Tagala thing. So on the Be the Number Pod, uh, show that I do with Josephine Chang. That's actually one of her really good friends. So we went in depth yep. talking about him and, uh, according to her. So one of the things, when you look at him from a statistical perspective, he was dealing with a wrist injury for a really long time, which I think was hurting some of his metrics. And according to her, cause she went to, when the tournament was in Kentucky a couple weeks ago, uh, she went and had breakfast with him and they were talking about his game and where it was at. and Everything seems to be trending in the right direction right now for him. The wrist feels good. His game is is looking good. I think that there might be some potential that he has more upside in this tournament than anybody thinks. And he's also a California guy, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so they both went to Diamond Bar High School together. That's where they have the connection from originally. Diamond so- Bar
1: High? That sounds like a strip club. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. First of all, where do
1: you get this type of inside info but on the Win Daily Show? I mean, or the better golf pod. I hope you mentioned, oh, of course, you guys talked about it on the be the number pod. Okay, gotcha. Um, that's really good info. See, this is the thing about golf. Like we never know about people's injuries, their setbacks until it's like six months later and they're playing well again. And they're like, oh yeah, by the way, I had a back injury. Okay, thanks Harris English. But it would have been nice if we kind of mentioned that in an interview or pregame or something like that. So I think that's really interesting because this isn't the first time I've heard um, Sahith Tagala's name. Um, who was it uh, on a, on Monday, I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but but there was somebody who I, I, I really respect who brought up his name as well to do well in this tournament. So super interesting. Um, I did want to mention two guys. First of all, I also like Nick Taylor. He has a good track record here. Um, I also kind of like Hank Lebiota. I'm kind of hoping that the time off, maybe he resets and gets back to the form that we saw pretty consistently for like a month or so. It is slightly wishful thinking, but at seventy one hundred. I think it's worth a shot, and because Coach is in here, yeah. See, he he already beat me to the punch, you bastard. I was going to I was going to ask him about Harry Higgs for <laughs> you on your behalf because his track record here is really good, and his recent form is actually pretty good too. Now I am always the captain of. No Harry Higgs. Like this dates back to our show with um me and Joel when we we, we did it with Michael Raziel. Like we always had this running joke about Harry Higgs, how I would never pick him. To this day, I've never picked him in DFS, which is probably stupid on my part. But with that said, let's let's because I think coach actually has a bet on him, too, to like finish top 10. Do either of you like Harry Higgs this week?
2: Yeah, I do a little bit. But the one thing I want to preface that with is my model always seems to overblow his potential a little bit. So uh, I have two wagers on him. I have a head to head bet. That's the smallest head to head bet that I have on Harry Higgs over CT Pan. And I also have him plus 175 to finish as a top 40 bet. So I have no problems Uh with him. And, and I think in general, as I said, this $7,000 range is very robust. Like as you heard from all three of us, like we ran through tons of people and I pretty much am on board with everything that was said. I mean, I guess Pan would be the one guy that worries me a little bit, but as you said, Joel, it's a GPP only play where you can find a way to leverage ownership with that. And and either he booms and it's great or he busts. And I mean, you kind of knew what you were going to get into with him, but. I mean, I think the Shanks of the world, the Doug Gims, Harry Higgs, I think there's a lot of uh, names you can get to in this section. My, I, I'm
0: normally a guy who likes Harry Higgs. Uh, I, I try to go lean toward him. But I'm a Harry Higgs guy in the 6K range when he's the bottom of my barrel. And, you know, there might be some upside. When he's 7.6, I think that's a little too much for me. Uh, I think I'm relying on him a little too much at that price. So... I probably won't be too high on him but I would I would prefer him more if you do like him this week to put it like a like like you said like a top 10 or 20 bet uh, I like playing him that way more than in DFF.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of betting golf and and doing a show like this sort of in tandem with the Better Golf pod because this is a great way to sort of leverage yourself or maybe hedge yourself by doing a top 20 bet or a top 10 bet and maybe just kind of fade him in DFS because you don't like the price or the ownership or something like that. But I'll tell you this, if if I could channel Michael Raziel real quick, something he would say is. Well, it's a relatively short course, so at least we know Harry Higgs probably won't run out of breath until after fourth <laughs> round or something. I wouldn't say that because it's rude, but I think that's something Michael might actually say. So I'd, I wanted to have some representation for our old, uh, our old co-host there. Can, can I ask one more? Uh, sorry, I'm taking so much time. Any of you on Alex Smalley or Luke List?
2: Anybody? Uh so Smalley. Yeah, my model actually kind of really liked him. He's 29th from a safety perspective when I ran that. I don't mind him. Uh, Luke List, I am not in on, though. A lot of that has to do with ownership percentage with it. So I kind of have him as a fair value with where he's priced. He's a little bit negative. But uh, where the red flags come in from where I have him is, Uh, He's 39 spots off on where my ranking is versus where the ownership projection is for him with the way I run my model with it. So those are typically spots I will avoid. I mean, unless I can figure a way to play him in cash game and I don't want to play Luke List in a cash game. So out on list, I'm fine with Smalley though. I think that there's a a case that can be made for him.
0: Great. I
1: think Um, I'm going to play a little Smalley.
0: Go ahead.
2: I'm pretty low on both, but um,
0: if either, I would maybe would put List in a GPP, but Unlikely to play much of either.
1: Interesting question from Jesse that I want to get to Um, with a lot of DFS focusing and I want to get y'all's opinions. I have an opinion too, in your experience. Well, for the people listening on the podcast, Jesse asks with a lot of DFS focus being on football, in your experience, will there be a lot of overlay in PGA DFS contests? My answer to that is no, not really particularly not for this tournament, even though there is a lot of more money floating around the DFS community. I don't think this tournament is going to get enough attention to command more like just more cat. I think what you're asking is more casual players kind of just like you know dipping their toe And I don't think that's going to happen, maybe here and there, but not enough for it to be significant. Um, S- Spencer, Joel, do you guys have an opinion on that?
2: Well, I mean, the way I took the question is, is there going to be people like not enough people entering the tournaments that are that's going to create the overlay on it?
1: My bad. That is that's exactly what Jesse was asking. I misinterpreted that. Um, okay, go ahead.
2: I guess the thing I would say to that is I would anticipate sites like DraftKings and FanDuel would be smart enough to know not to put these huge uh, you know, numbers up top that they're guaranteeing with it. So I, I would think that the guarantees probably aren't going to be as extreme. I, I don't know that to be true with it, but uh, my guess would be no based off of that.
0: Yeah, they've gotten way better at understanding the fields where they very rarely get overlay. And when they do, it's really small. So that's not something I would try to lean on. Uh, especially if you're going to, like, because golf, don't forget, golf starts in the morning. So, like, if you're going to do it, make sure you're up, and, like, it's got to be mm. the minute or two before because thousands of people will enter in the morning, and then it changes the whole look of it. So uh, it's a hard thing to play, but if you're going to get up early and look, then maybe you can keep, find a, a little bit of advantage, but it won't be much. And and one last one last
1: thing. Uh, there was a comment from Bobby Dove asking us if we do football shows or football content as well. Um, Win Daily is still running a really – like unbelievable deal for I think the entire football season, which gives you access to everything, not just football, PGA and everything else. Super low price. I think they just slashed it by like a hundred bucks or something. Anyway, so go to windailysports.com. We all do other content. Um, um, I think in in multiple sports. But the 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 big takeaway from that question, it was Bobby Dove. You asking that question, uh, at least as it pertains to me, means that you're not on Twitter because our Twitters are kind of littered with everything that we do, uh, maybe for better or for worse. So what I'd ask Bobby to do is, first of all, thank you for watching. This is a loyal listener, but there we go. So Bobby, what I would say is definitely get on Twitter and, and follow me and follow T-Off Sports and follow Draftmaster Flex. See, because, yeah.
0: Go ahead. I think he's making a joke. I think he's being sarcastic. I think he knows you do a lot of shows and he's being funny. He's like, oh, don't you do... That's my that's that's why you wrote long. I thought I think. You might be right with the LOL. But
1: regardless, everybody's got to get on Twitter and follow us three and get to windily and check out the NFL deals because there was like a ton of screenshots that everybody, if you're on Twitter, you saw them or Instagram. Um definitely everybody
0: run to Twitter. And while we're on the topic, I'll make my shameless plug. Uh, I am starting a college football show. First episode will be this Friday uh so if you want to check it out you like playing college football dfs it's fun it's hard because you don't know a lot of the players but hopefully i can uh show you the way so wait what time it's friday i'm not sure yet it's probably going to be seven but it might change but for now friday at seven well what how are we how are we going to know
1: so how are you going to alert the masses that the show is going
0: on so if you are obviously win daily follower uh you go and discard it will be for sure solidified um but if not we will for sure put it out on twitter um it's going to be friday night um more than likely 7 p.m so plan to be there 7 p.m for the first college football show
1: so which means it'll be on our youtube channel for sure it'll be at wind Daily sports on twitter most likely it'll be on wind maybe live feed on there too but um more importantly again get on twitter because that's where a lot of the advertising happens with respect to some of those shows that joel's talking about. joel that's super exciting yeah. i mean college football um, so awesome. And I know how good you are at the uh, DFS component of that.
0: Thanks, guys. We're pumped. Yeah, congratulations. About- Thanks, guys. You guys. Come on.
1: No, he uh- <laughs> doesn't well, need this. He's all red.
0: <laughs> we do have a golf tournament this week. So uh, let's wrap this one up. Let's, gonna, let's jump back down to the 6K range. Uh, Spencer, you want to kick us off down here?
2: Yeah. So one of my favorite plays this week is Andrew Putnam at 6,900, Uh back-to-back top 36 is here. He's going to need his putter to get hot, but 27th in this field when it comes to par five scoring, I think the shorter tests should highlight some of his strengths, um, as I said, I mean, he's carrying about 1% ownership right now and top 30 in all iterations of how I ran my model. So really liked him. Uh, Jason Duffner at 6,800 seems to be catching some steam as the week's going on, but at least you can figure out a blueprint for how he could find success. Um, Mark Hubbard at 6,500, same thing can be said for him, but short courses are always better suited for him. Six top 51s over his last seven starts. Uh, If we drop down a little bit, I think Kevin Chappell and Andrew Landry at 6,500 have proven to be PGA Tour upside type plays. Uh, Landry's won a couple of tournaments. Chapel has been overcoming a back injury for the last few years, but the start of the new season at a shorter test might help. And then the last few that I'm going to give a further look into as the week goes on would be Bo Hossler at 6,300, Aaron Battley at 6,200, uh, Bill Haas at 6,200, Michael Thompson at 6,900. Bryce Garnett 6,700, and then I guess if we're talking some corn fairy guys, Dylan Wu at 6,400 and Paul Barjon at 6,200.
0: I like it. That was a that was a quick, concise breakdown. See, who you looking at down here? All right, I'll go quick and concise too. These guys, <laughs> all three. Well, actually, two out of the two out of the three
1: rate really well in my model. Bo Hogue and Jim Herman. Um, again, a lot of the metrics I'm looking at: strokes gain, par five, obviously approach, uh, birdie or better. Uh, these guys are are really like higher than you think. So I like both of them. I, I've been on Jim Herman a while. I actually think Jim Her- Herman is a little bit better than people think. He's not just a guy that's funny on Twitter. So at those prices, I think they're those are good moves to like, you know, make lineups work at the top. The guy I'm riding that, that maybe statistically doesn't really measure up as well is Sam Ryder. Uh, no pun intended with the I'm writing thing. Um, really, truly no pun intended there, by the way. Uh, but Sam Ryder, first of all, he's flashed at this tournament. He's had a top five finish here a couple of years back, but he's also been pretty good as of late. And he's the type of guy that can get really hot. And that's really what you're looking for in the 6K range is a, is a guy that at least is going to flash the potential to get really hot. So those are the three guys I like so far in the 6K range.
0: I like that. Um, you know, for me, I think you guys mentioned a lot of the guys that I'm looking at. One, I think, Spencer, you may have mentioned Bill Haas at 6,200. I like him here just from history perspective. I mean, in his last four years, he has three top 20s at 6,200. I think he's interesting. Um, You know, at the top of the range here, there's a few guys that that I like. I think the thing to notice here is that there's not a big difference between the 6K and the top of the 6K range and 7K range. So if you're grabbing ramen, there's some value to be found. Uh, The ownership looks a little high for this range, but one guy I really like, is Cameron Percy at 6,800. He's another one with uh, four top 30 finishes and a top 10 in his last four tries. Now, with him, it's a little different because some of those results were like six, seven, eight years ago, which is, you know, I don't like to count that because it's so long ago, but he also has two pretty good results in the last two years. So uh, he's a really good ball striker, and this kind of watered downfield, I think he could be a really good fit. That's the DFS breakdown. Now, before we wrap up tonight, I do want to, let's get through some of these uh, outrights and maybe some first round leaders. So uh, to get us started there, let's go into the outright market. Spencer, who are you looking at there?
2: Yeah, so I will save a couple that I have. Uh, Make sure to tune into the Better Golf Pod to hear uh, the full card I have. And I'm going to say that the card that I have this week, I know Sia, you and I talked about it two weeks ago when we did the show that I don't bet a ton of players when I do it. Like, my exposure is less than most people, I would say, in the outright market. And so this week, my exposure is still less with the units that are being risked. But I think it's an interesting spot to try to take ROM on. You know, he's four to one in these books. Now, I like ROM. If ROM wins the tournament, sure, I think that that's a possibility that could happen. But I'm going to be taking a lot of deep shots here down the board. I you know, essentially through all the golfers I have, I only have a unit at risk for the way I do it. I'd betting to win eight to 10 units on the plays that I have. So even though I have a lot of names, I don't think that the exposure isn't as much as it seems a couple of guys I'll throw out for the show. Siwoo Kim at 50 to one, uh, Doug Gim at 80 to one. I bet Phil Mickelson at 95 to one, Andrew Putnam at 200 to one, uh, more at a hundred to one and Fratelli at 140. And surprisingly there are some more names if you tune into the show. So it's a big card for me with that this week.
0: I like it. Yeah. Those are, That's a, there's are good, I think you're, you're spot on in that this is the week to take some shots. You know, there's Rom obviously, but other than Rom, it's not a lot of those big names. So, you know, if Rom doesn't win a long shot could certainly, you know, be as, as viable as some of these other guys. So see, so yeah, how about you? So I'm only going to give three
1: outrights because I want to have some fun with the first round leaders because I'm going to give you a six there, which, you know, whatever, really gimmicky, but whatever. My my first, uh, my outrights are Will Zalatoris at 22 to one, Charlie Hoffman at 35 to one. And I guess I got my GIM number way too late in the game because I actually just looked it up before the show. So he might have opened at 80 to one, but unfortunately right now he's 60 to one. Um, not nearly as good of a number, but I did want to put that out there in case there's people who can get it maybe at a better number. I don't think 60 is great. Maybe I'd even like lay off or maybe just sprinkle there, but I think 70 is probably where you want to be with Doug Gim. Uh, But regardless, those are my three guys, Zalatoris, Hoffman, Doug Gim.
0: I like it. and I'm going to give you four just complete bombs, right? So I'm swinging for the fences. Um, My first is Phil Mickelson at 80-1. to I think this is a tournament where if he does put it together – uh, there's some win equity there for him and 80 to one. I think is a, it's a really solid number. Um, and then uh, I'll get a little even deeper. Like I said, I really like Brian Stewart this week. So with that, we're getting a hundred to one. Uh, I like, I like your boy, Spencer, Ryan Moore, another hundred to one shot. I think he has a little win equity. It's a really good number. You're going to find there. And last but not least for me, um, I guess he's going to be the theme of the show. See, we'll give him another hundred to one shot uh, to win the tournament. So, those will be my kind of Hail Marys. Again, these are small wager bets that we're, we're, we're swinging for the fences on, but some guys that I think could have some win equity and some high numbers. Now the fun. This is where we make our money every week.
2: It's the first round leader. Um, Spencer, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I, I kind of have a bunch of names written down here for this also, and it's the same concept that I'm going with, is I'm just going to try to find guys that – 80 and above for the most part with this. So Lanto Griffin at 90 to one. I, I think Joel, you mentioned him uh, earlier when we were talking about him in a different uh, portion of the show, but I think Lanto has the upside that he can stick here. Ryan Moore at 80 to one, Dylan Fertelli at 95 to one, Lucas Herbert at 85 to one, uh, Doug Gim at 80 to one, Siwoo Kim at 60 to one. And then probably my favorite play of the whole group, Phil Mickelson at 75 to one. wow. Oh, yeah. Look at that. A lot of overlap
0: between us this week. I yeah. love that. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll go next. So for, for my first-round leader plays, um, a couple of just you know, simple ones. I like Hank Lebiota. He's kind of like a, a guy for the show. He's, he's our guy at 80-1. to 1. I think Doug Gim is just a good number here at 80-1. to 1. Um, I, I'm going to throw a real hair, Mary, out there. Uh, I, boy, I really can't pronounce this guy's name. Um, Afib Barneret. Is that how you say it? Kirodek, Aparbarnerot. Yeah, that's right. Aparbarnerot. All right. Yes, yeah, yeah. ninety to one. Um, he's a guy that pops in first rounds a lot, so I think it's a good guy just to take a shot on here. But my last play, and this is something I never ever do. I just think the numbers add up. John Rom, right? The best player in the field by far, and you know, obviously, it's it's hard to take him at three and a you know three to one to win a tournament, but for first round leader, you're getting twelve to one, which for a guy who I think is by far the best player, twelve to one, I'll take for for the first round leader. So I'll throw a little bit on the on the first round leader with Rom. See, ya. how about you? I actually really like that uh,
1: analysis with respect to Rom. Like nobody's taking his outright number, but his first round leader number is kind of pleasant, uh, which actually made me give a second look as you asked me to Will Zalatoris because his number is thirty-five to one. I mean, I think that's pretty decent in this field for Will Zalatoris. So I have all these names. So I don't. I'm not exactly sure which I got. I got across a couple guys off. Okay, I'm gonna. Hank Lebiota, you're gone. Jim Herman. God, that would be a fun one. 130 to one. He's got no shot at first round leader, right? Yeah, maybe put a I, dollar on it. huh? I mean, all right. So he, here we go. Okay, so here we go. I have Charlie Hoffman at 40 to one. Oh, I should start with Will Zalatoris. I'm actually adding him because I thought your analysis was kind of on point there. I don't really. I mean. Yeah, Rom Zalatoris is twenty-two to one outright, but thirty-five to one as first-round leader. Again, I think he might have turned around as putter, and maybe we see it day one. So, Zalatoris at thirty-five to one, Charlie Hoffman at forty to one, Aaron Rye at seventy to one, Doug Gim at eighty to one, and throw a dollar on Jim Herman just so you can be part of the party at one hundred and thirty to one. But the breaking news, the the break the bank news that I'm giving out on September fourteenth, twenty twenty-one, at nine oh nine p.m. Is that your first round leader at the Fortinet Championship, the Fortnite Championship, the Fortunately Championship, is none other than Maverick McNeely at 60 to one. He's going to catch fire round one. He is going to break the bank. Put all the money you have on Maverick McNeely. It's such an obvious play. I think, to be honest, I think Spencer and Joel didn't mention his name because they wanted me to have the glory and, and the soundbite in, in the clip that we're going to cut up Thursday night to show off to the world. It is 100% going to be Maverick McNeely. Borrow money from your friends. Go to the bank. Do what you got to do to get a loan. Put mortgage on your
0: home. That's a lock.
1: Yeah. Maybe take out a second mortgage on your home. Like at the same time. Just ask See, the bank if you can do that.
2: that that's wise. That is yeah. wise. Yeah. Guys, we're a good team over here. We teed it up for you. Let you have the shining moment.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and I can't say that I'm going to give it back or pay it forward, but I appreciate it nonetheless. (laughs)
0: Thank you, guys. That's a wrap for this week. Good luck. Uh, Listen, we're we're hopefully going to ride this uh, this hot train into the new season. Yes, everyone, follow Wes's really really wise advice. Hit the like button. Uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> is, so
1: there is that sarcasm?
2: Great? Is it no a-
1: sarcasm, sarcasm? With-
2: <laughs> There's levels to this at this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was sarcasm, but it might've been, but he says no sarcasm. So.
0: That's fair. I guess. Uh, all right. I, I digress. I lose. I'll, I'll take the L on that one. Um, but that's a wrap for this week. Good luck. Let's make some money. And, uh, See it. Did I forget something? Well, we got to start the new year by ending the show in the correct way. And the
1: only way we know how to do that is sports.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.